Greetings in Christ Jesus. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, and I have a special guest with me again. We're doing a series on courage in the face of opposition, what the Carmelites can teach us about living counterculturally. Now, this is um, what we're talking about today, which I'll let our guests tell you. Um, this is another conversation in this series. Um, which I think is going to be at least four parts, um, which began with exploring the stories of Carmelites who lived during the times of challenge for those who were living the Catholic faith, the struggles they faced, the ways they remained faithful, and what those of us living in the 21st century can learn from them. Now, there's specifically three points that we began with to start this series, and they continue being the underlying uh, teaching points is number one, put God first. Number two, that prayer is essential to us as the air we breathe and the water we drink. And three, that we um, live the faith unapologetically. So I'm going to go to the opening. Actually, I'm going to invite our guest first, and then we'll go to the opening prayer so she can join me. Um, Colleen Sanger, welcome to Carmelite Conversations again. I'm glad to be back. Oh, I know you've got a lot to uh, share with us today. Who are we going to talk about? Today, we're going to talk about St. Maria Maravius of Jesus. Okay. Um, we briefly mentioned her in that first conversation, and today we're going to look at her life in a little more depth. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I know there's not a lot in English on her as far as books, but we, we did find one, which I hope to uh, bring up at the end. Um, but I, I want to start with an opening prayer. It's actually from St. Maria Maravius. Now, she is a discalced Carmelite nun, uh, and that's important, and a foundress, right? Yes. And so um, uh, this is one of the prayers that she wrote. Um, at least it is written down. Uh, whether she purposely wrote it as a prayer for us, I don't know, but uh, we're going to embrace it. And since we're coming up to the month of May, we're recording this podcast in April, so uh, at the end of April. So since May is right around the corner and it's dedicated to the Blessed Mother, I chose this opening prayer that um, St. Maria Maravillas wrote to the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So let us get recollected and enter within to be with our Lord and with and in through the spirit and intercession of St. Maria Maravillas, let us pray in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm-hmm. Mother mine, how kind you have always been to me. In your hands, I put these supplications. Bless them, present them to Jesus. Make your love of a mother and your power of a queen have weight. O Mary, I count on your help. I confide in your power. I give myself to your will. I am certain of your mercy. Mother of God and mother mine, pray for me. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, get off and running now. Uh, now that we, we've prayed and um, we know who we're talking about, uh, help us to know who she is. All right. Um, 
Saint Maria Marvius of Jesus. Sometimes I'll call her Mother Marvius because as a prioress, that's what she was known as a lot. She lived from 1891 to 1974, and she was canonized in 2003 in Madrid um, by Pope John Paul II, Saint <laughs> John yeah. Paul II. And so if you do the math, you can see that she was 83 years old. So she had a long life um, in Carmel. She was actually a religious for 54 years. So what a blessing. And I just want to bring up her feast day. For those of you who want to celebrate special, her feast day is December 11th, which is also the anniversary of her actual death. So um, a, a pretty uh, recent saint right? Uh, that's been alive during our lifetimes for, for many of the listeners. Uh, so, you know, we can uh, really, really relate to the struggles she's had, which I'm going to I'm sure, um, Colleen, you're going to tell us more about. And um, so I, I would, without further ado, let's let's get into uh, her life more. Yeah. And someday, you know, we can do a show on her entire life. But for the purposes of this particular series, we're just talking about the time that she lived. Um, we're in opposition. In opposition, yes. <laughs> in courage. Courage yeah. in opposition. Right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and that's a good point. <laughs> okay. Right. But for a little background, um, she was born into an aristocratic family. She had an awareness of Jesus from an early age. Uh, as a child, she would play in the meadows and woods at her grandmother's and consider how she was carrying Jesus in her heart. They, their book said she was four years old when she was doing things like this. Um, and she also felt the call to consecrate her life to the Lord at a very early age. Uh, the reason she felt the call to Carmel was because its charism resounded with her prayer, penitence, poverty, and sacrificing on behalf of the church and priests. And, you know, I, I have to say this. I found out that um, it was through reading the books of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross that she discerned her call to Carmel. Right. But, you know, there's many of our seculars. That's the path that God uses. They're introduced to one of the books. They read it. They uh, commiserate with that spirit. It, it echoes in their own spirit, and um, they come to seek out Carmel. So um, it, it, it's you know, pay attention because you might be getting the call through this podcast. Who knows? Exactly. And I wonder too. I haven't been able to find this, but is it just because of the fact that they were a Spanish Catholic family that did they just have those books, you know, in their personal library? And so that was, you know, there it was, right for her to pick up and read. Right, right. Well, you know, the Spanish people, I'm sure, are very proud of their heritage. And mm -hmm. St. John of the Cross is one of the most widely known poets of yes. Spain. Yes. And, and now through the world with his uh, classic poetry, which he wrote commentary on. So good point. Yeah. Um, she was not, she hadn't even made her final profession yet with, in Carmel when she received a very special call from God. Jesus asked her to found a Carmel near the Cerro de los Angeles, which is the geographical center of the Iberian Peninsula. He said to her, here I want you and those other souls chosen from my heart to make me a house where I have my delights. My heart needs to be consoled and I want this Carmel to be the balm that heals the wounds that sinners open. Spain will be saved by prayer. Now, 
At this location, the geographical center is a monument to the Sacred Heart. And by the time the foundation opened in 1926, she had made her solemn profession and was named prioress. She didn't wish to be prioress and she was, you know, pretty brand new religious sister, but she accepted out of obedience. You know, I want to go back to that point about that geographical center. Yes. Um, Cerro de, de Los Angeles. Yes, um, the Hill of the Angels. Yeah. Um, I thought it meant the Our Lady of Angels, but it was the Hill of Hill of Angels, right? So, but Our Our Lady of Angels is also um, mentioned, and this monument to the Sacred Heart, of course, the Blessed Mother is very much uh, involved in the formation of His Human Heart. Um, but here it is in the center of Spain, mm -hmm. so the heart of Spain, and I think that's very significant because you know Saint Therese of Lisieux. Um, she died in 1897 and was canonized in 1925. And I'm sure that um, St. Maria Maravillas would have been uh, 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 acquainted with her and her cause and her love of the Sacred Heart, Francis' love of the Sacred Heart. The love of the Sacred Heart in the church at large was growing and growing. And uh, so I think this monument uh, was pivotal and I also recall reading that it, when she did go out and form other convents, which I know you're going to talk about a little bit, um, she had each of those groups of nuns come to this, so to speak, mother house mm -hmm. and be sent out from this place. Mm -hmm. So it was like the, the blood from the heart going out to nourish the world. I just thought, oh, that is so it's neat. Beautiful. I had it? to bring that out. So yes, I'm glad you did. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, just a tiny bit of Spanish history. Um, their the Second Republic of Spain was proclaimed in April of 1931. Now remember this, she just opened her house officially in 1926. Um, and this brought about increasing religious persecution. By the 11th of May, revolutionaries overtook the convents and churches in Madrid, which was the nearest big city to them, and other large cities as well. So, you know, of course, the community at the Cerro of Los Angeles was, they were concerned about their fate. Um, in fact, the families of sisters visited the convent and asked some of the women, you know, to, to return home with them. Um, but the sisters were determined to stay in large part due to their confidence in their prioress. Mother Maravillas gave her sisters the choice to leave, absolutely, but they were unanimous in their resolve to stay together in community. So that was how they chose to live their life of uncertainty in a time of danger and under constant threat from revolutionaries. Um, what Mother Maravillas did is she began nightly prayer vigils, praying for her nation, but also praying that the monument to the Sacred Heart would not see destruction. Um, in fact, she applied for and received permission from the Pope, who was Pope Pius XI at that time, to leave her enclosure there if she saw that the monument was being attacked. So she wanted to go and defend it, and he gave her permission to. Um, yeah, that's and, how significant this was. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, a few years later, 1936, the Spanish Civil War broke out. Um, things went poorly for St. Maravillas and her sisters. At one point, revolutionaries tried to scale the walls of the convent. Um, 
Yeah, imagine that. These women living inside the convent and these guys are trying to get in from the outside. Mm -hmm. So now, while the communists in their nearest town were not sympathetic towards the religious, the local communist mayor took care to warn the sisters that they might want to seek safety elsewhere. A blessing. Um, Yes, by July of 1936, the authorities arrived to arrest the sisters. Um, They were certain that martyrdom was imminent, yet... um, Rather than being taken to their deaths or anything, they were placed in a nearby town under house arrest with some Ursuline sisters. So there they stayed for a while, again, still praying for this monument. But um, so the arrest happened in July. In August, the thing that she feared most happened. The monument to the Sacred Heart was destroyed. Um, Feeling that there was nothing keeping them in that town anymore, they applied for permission to move to Madrid. This was granted and they moved to a small apartment, keeping a low profile where they stayed for over a year. Now in the midst of danger and plentiful deprivations, the community carried on life as they would if they were still living inside their cloister walls. The Blessed Sacrament was reserved in a tabernacle in their apartment. They still celebrated mass and feast days were celebrated. And um, the local, the people in their neighborhood in Madrid knew about them and would come to their small apartment to receive Holy Communion. Um, Unfortunately, during their time, they did run into violence as well. Uh, A platoon of revolutionaries showed up at the apartment to harass them, and Mother Maravillas herself was interrogated at gunpoint about her activities. But she she's been praying all along. She's been, you know, anticipating imminent martyrdom all along. She maintained her serenity throughout this interrogation. Um, She never tried to hide her condition as religious. She told them, she gestured around her apartment, look, we we have no money, look around. And when asked, um, "You, you don't fear us, you know what we can do to you? They said, we don't fear death. On the contrary, we wish to give our lives to the Lord. That is so and, potent. I mean, I, I mean, if we asked ourselves at this day, could we say that? I yeah. mean, that's that's how strong her faith was. It was oh, that is such a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'd love to know too what impact it had. Like, what seed did she plant with those men who were there at that time? We'll oh, know. not know this side of heaven, but yeah, <laughs> um, it could, because in fact, as they were on their way out the door, she promised the man that she'd pray for them. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And it's it's like she was uh, being the heart of Christ to them mm-hmm. uh, in, in professing the faith to them in that way. And, you know, when you mentioned about the monument being destroyed, I, I couldn't help but think about how many monuments in the United States in the past five years have been destroyed. And, right. and you know, that is a symbol of trying to get rid of our our culture, our history, and the things that we're uh, memorializing. And so, you know, it it, it is a a big deal. Uh, It's not just an object. No, it stands for something. And so even though it's a a monument, what it stands for is living and breathing in our minds and in our hearts and is uh, forming us and so it's it is very big um, and important but um, you know this comment about her not fearing death and how we wish to give our lives to the Lord you know how, another way though that those um, military received that I, it's like they don't understand how people don't fear death 
because mm-hmm. this is the thing that really gets them. They want people to be fearful. Mm-hmm. And when people don't respond that way, it just really catches them off guard. Right. And because think, obviously when they went to the apartment, they did not think that that was the reception they were going to get. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we know that there have been conversions um, from situations like that. Uh, where somebody's done something horrendous and the other person has forgiven them at the death point. I'm thinking of St. Philomena. Wasn't that one of the situations? So, all right, well, let's, let's keep going though. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. After a year in Madrid, mother Marvius felt the call of the Lord to leave the city. Now she had purchased years before the war, couldn't have anticipated this and abandoned Carmel and Salamanca. So the entire community moved to this location that was very remote without any modern conveniences such as, you know, furniture or electricity, or it did, neither did it have an easy way to procure those items. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, again, this is the 20th century and they were coming from Madrid. They are certainly already used to <laughs> the modern conveniences that uh, that life had to offer during the 1930s. So yes, it was a, it would have been a difficult thing for them. But they would embrace it as something to offer up to the Lord, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that was another thing is she wasn't going to do it unless everybody could do it. And so indeed she took everyone who was with her in Madrid. She waited until she made sure that they were all going to be able to do it. So they left for that abandoned Carmel and they stayed there until the end of the war. Now, upon returning to their convent in the Cerro de de los Angeles, they found it had been completely destroyed during the war. Um, both sides of the uh, you know war had lived there at various times. It was just in an awful condition. In fact, the hill up the road was in such a bad state that the roads were impassable. Mother Maravillas had to climb it on foot whenever she wanted to get there. Um, everything of the Sacred Heart Monument was destroyed. And St. Maravillas remarked that they did not get the bodily martyrdom that they had prayed for but they were given a martyrdom of the heart because it was so devastating to have seen to have to see the destruction of the monument they prayed so hard would be spared Mm -hmm. um so yes three years the convent had been occupied by soldiers and revolutionaries and it was left to her to rebuild it So at the age of 48, she set out to a restoration that took four years. However, and this reminded me of St. Teresa of Avila, the Blessed Sacrament was installed within a few weeks of their reclaiming the convent. Um, How how important that is because you're with God. (laughs) Right. Having God with you. Jesus is is the ruler and he brings the graces that make it all happen. <laughs> right. And so what they did then, because it wasn't, they, it wasn't ready to be lived in yet, they took turns sleeping there with the Blessed Sacrament while the renovations were going on. Mm-hmm. Um, amongst the extreme privations, there was no longer water at the top of the hill. Um, the mud was so bad that the local government officials were astounded and rather impressed that anyone would take on the project, much less the middle-aged woman kind of taking it on herself with her fellow sisters. <laughs> Um, so this brings us to the end of the difficulties that Mother Maravillas faced as a result of the Spanish Civil War. But really, and again, this is again our topic for another time. This was just the beginning of her work. Um, but I'd like to just briefly talk about it so we know about her. Like her spiritual mother, St. Teresa, she built Carmels. 
Um, Mother Maravillas built a total of 11 new Carmels and restored two others, including the Monastery of the Incarnation in Avila. Mm. Um, so, so much more went on in her life post-war, which is a story for another day. But well, I, I oh, have to oh. tell you, though, I got to stick a story in here. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, we can save that other story, but I, I want to stick a story in here because it relates to St. Teresa of Avila mm -hmm. um, and the connection with um, Mother Maravillas. Um, so um, I found this on the internet and um, let me see where, where I want to begin here. Um, let's see. Okay, here we go. Mother Maravillas had been thinking for some time whether the sandals and the stockings that the Carmelite used now were the same as those imposed by St. Teresa on her nuns. St. Teresa did not quite describe having the foot covered as they did now. She spoke about this on various occasions um, to Father Severio, and he was of the same opinion. He was making inquiries uh, to find out, you know, what they actually did. And he told her that if she had the opportunity on one of her foundation trips, that she should not miss seeing a sandal of St. Teresa that was preserved in Burgos. St. Severio gathered all the necessary documentation together with photographs of ancient carvings of St. Teresa in which she appears bare-toed. He measured and photographed the stocking that is conserved at Naples and sought advice from the Carmelites at Burgos. And then when he had all the loose ends tied up, he decided to take the matter in hand. And so he wrote a letter to Mother Maravillas and says, each day I'm more convinced that it was the intention of the saint that the foot should be bare, but with a sandal. But you should um, cover the leg down to the ankle. <laughs> I imagine all the youth to be enthusiastic about the idea and all the discast nuns too. Without this, I do not see how they can truly call themselves discast. <laughs> it means um, uh, 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 shoeless or, or uh, barefoot. Okay, so in communication with San Jose um, de Avila, and when everybody was in agreement, she writes saying, from there, San Jose of Avila, they write that they are most pleased to do this, and we are too, for undoubtedly, the austerity will be greater, and we shall suffer greater cold. It gives one such devotion that in these times of such great offense to God, precisely in searching for greater pleasures, the Lord should request greater penance from his Carmelites. So here they are actively seeking out and all agreeing to do this extra mortification. So over and above cutting the foot off the stockings, okay, which is what they all did. Mm -hmm. She wanted to have the authentic sandal to adopt for use at the same time. So in 1947, during one of her journeys to see a place for the transfer of the community, she goes through Burgos. As she had agreed with Father Severio, she goes to the convent and she asked to see the actual sandal of St. Teresa of Avila. And she's attended with affection and they were delighted to bring her in and show it to her. And she tried it on. <laughs> this is like a Cinderella moment. Yeah. She, tried it, she tried it on and was delighted to see the coincidence that she had the same foot size oh. as her holy mother. <laughs> she was able to prove that it was as she had imagined. 
It had only the sole in the front part, which left the toes bare. So um, anyway, I, I, I thought that was a, 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 a wonderful connection. I almost said the story. She, Mother Maravius, actually walked in the footsteps. Yes, quite literally. <laughs> Both in Sandal and in founding Car mm. uh, other Carmelite monasteries. So um, anyway, so thank you for bearing with me to add that little story. Oh, no, I'm glad you were able to find that and share that. That's excellent. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to the point now. What, what should we know um, in synopsis here about um, St. Maravius? Right, it's just knowing how she handled herself throughout the time that she lived under religious persecution. Throughout it all, Mother Maravius, as prioress, was known for caring for her daughters with a nurturing motherly love and with her easygoing personality. When you consider her arrest by the authorities, her interrogation at gunpoint by revolutionaries, her strength in rebuilding the damaged convent, convent, ah, convent, sorry, she was known for her grace under pressure. Her biographers consider the reason for her affable character to be, and this is a quote from a book, her great virtue was her charity and her love of God. Um, she had a deep interior sense of God that no one knew about. She wrote to her spiritual director about experiencing her soul inflamed with love, which is how we know about this. But always she asked the Lord to make sure that her feelings would go unnoticed. Yes, the hidden so part of We didn't know exactly what was going on. We saw the fruits of what was going on, though. Absolutely. That's right. Well, you know, I picked a quote here from her that I thought was a great summation of, of uh, what her life was an example of. She says, quote, we only have to live by faith, and then everything becomes easy. Who could see him acting so kindly towards us, so full of love, so attentive to our needs, and then not live for him alone and love him madly? What does it matter if someone does not feel faith, provided they are living every moment by it? Always live a life full of faith and trust, letting the Lord steer your boat and even sleep in it if he wants. Of course, that reminds me of St. Therese. Yes, it um, does. <laughs> my, my husband um, bought me a gift at Christmas um, that is, is a, a framed um, picture of St. Therese's quote, the world is thy ship, not thy home. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I was like, I wonder if Mother Maravillas knew that quote of her, because she's like, uh, letting the Lord steer your boat and even sleep in it if he wants. But of course, we know scripture has, has a lot about the apostles um, and, and Jesus in a boat. So um, uh, it, it is pertinent to us to consider how that uh, can play out in our lives. So, um, all right. Well, um, you know, like Sister or Saint Maria Maravillas of Jesus, we too see upheaval in the world around us and just pray that we may gain strength from her example and have courage in the face of opposition. Um, I did want to mention um, the book that I found in English about her. It's called Following the Path of Divine Love. I'm going to show it. Um, I will put it in the, the notes there, but anyway, it's uh, from the Carmel International Publishing House in Kerala, India. I think I bought, bought this through um, the Boards Hill um, Carmelite Bookshop. Um, I think that's where I found it. But anyway, I'm really hoping 
that um, uh, others might get it and read it. Uh, I think it, it's it's an easy read. Um, it's kind of a thick book, but it's very easy and conversational. So you'll really get to know this saint. Did you have any other closing points that you wanted to bring before we do a closing prayer? Um, just, I, I like the, the final quote you said, how where she's talking about faith, how that really just goes back to that very, the, one of the points that we were talking about at the beginning about living her faith unapologetically that she exactly did. Yes. And very courageous in the face of opposition. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I chose for our closing prayer, um, the prayer that is from the Carmelite proper of the Liturgy of the Hours for her feast day of December 11th. So let us get recollected, thanking God for this great saint, this great example that, that we can try to imitate. And let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, who drew St. Maria Maravillas of Jesus into the secrets of the heart of your Son, grant through her intercession and example that we may work together for the salvation of souls, experiencing the delights of your love. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Colleen. I'm really glad we got to have this um, conversation about St. Maria Maravillas. And I look forward to um, a really in-depth one once you and I both get to read that book. <laughs> Good plan. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, this has been part um, three of the series on courage in the face of opposition. And um, I think that we are going to do one more in this series. So look for that. Um, it will be coming up on uh, Paris Jacques, right? Yes. All right. And Colleen will join me on that as well. So thank you and God bless you. <laughs>